Blog Talk Radio. Man, it was real cool in school if we got good grades Like straight up babes, our parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Server called Philly is home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you wanna make it on time to the show There's only one road that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feeling a fix Get on that road they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate they ever made. The fellas ain't famous, but they got good game. Get getting on 76ers. Charo Bali, this Larry Bird. Get it on 76ers. Charo Bali, this Larry Bird. Shoots the middleman now, disguises the jewel. The Valentine's line. Anything's possible. Anything is possible! Less than 24 hours to go in this NBA draft preview edition of the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, a Metro Philly, alongside ESPN True Hoop writer Michael Kasky Blomain. And as always, you can add our podcast on the app Stitcher and make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. Mike, it's been the moment we've all been waiting for for months now. Uh, basketball Twitter is just blowing up with reports, uh, rumors, smoke screens, all of these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to give you our best possible assumption of what Sam Hinkie will do on Thursday night. Um, you know, John Giveney of DraftExpress.com tweeted today that there's a growing consensus among teams that the Sixers will now take D'Angelo Russell at number three, and uh, his workout with Philly actually cemented that. Uh, We've been talking about his fit with the team and his superstar potential uh, for months now, and, uh, you know, how relieved and just excited will you be to hear his name called by Adam Silver uh, for the Sixers on draft night? Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be a relief uh, considering, you know, all the mixed reports that we've been hearing over the past couple of days, or past few weeks, rather. But, I mean, honestly, you know, until until what happened, exactly what you said happened, yeah, still, you know, still not sure. But, you know, he's still the top target in my mind, at least, and that's absolutely what I'm hoping for. Yeah, you know, he's, he's the guy I've wanted all along. Um, you know, I've expressed my interest in him coming to the Sixers all the way back to, you know, our, our February 20th episode, um, our, you know, post-trade deadline episode on the show. And, you know, having him cross the stage in that newly stitched Sixers cap and, you know, holding up that, that sweet brand-new uniform will almost feel like a new era as, you know, a Sixers basketball fan because, you know, that's what it truly is right now. Um, you know, if Russell's capable – of becoming the player a lot of analysts, including myself, think he can become. You know, the the future just looks extremely bright in Philadelphia. And, you know, you can kind of forget about Joel Embiid's right foot for at least one night. You know, celebrate this pick. And, uh, you know, just hope that the Timberwolves and Lakers don't take him from under our, you know, fingernails here to own the number one and number two picks. But, you know, to me that's unlikely do the fans kind of have an idea of, you know, Russell's finally coming here 
And do you feel like uh, that energy is just super high right now amongst the fan base? Yeah, I mean, definitely super high. I think it'll it'll be nice for the the fan base just to have, uh, you know, a form of instant gratification, you know, a guy that's going to be able to come out and knock on wood, you know, hopefully contribute (laughs) on the court, you know, on the court next season after – I mean, going back three years now, there's, there hasn't been an off season where we've been waiting on an injury. You know, it's obviously the Bynum whole debacle, and then waiting on Nerlens for a year, and now we're playing the same waiting game with Joel. Um, you know, hopefully it'll it'll just be nice to get a guy, you know, a high caliber talent like that at number three that's just ready to come in and contribute. And I think, you know, I think a lot of the excitement it, it was starting to build throughout the second half of last season um, amongst the fan base when they really started to see. You know, some of the players start to develop. Obviously, uh, you know, Noel's drastic improvement over the season and excited a lot of fans, combined with, you know, the emergence of Covington. And, uh, you know, Roten's play early in the season had a lot of guys jacked up. So I think, you know, just the, the uh, combination of some new high-caliber blood coming in and fusing with, you know, these young guys that had really started to, you know, turn a corner and play well, you know, especially on the defensive end last season under Brett Brown. Um, you know, I think that that really has the fan base excited, and you know, rightfully so. I mean, I, I would say I think you and I are both in agreement that things are trending in the right direction at this point, and uh, you know, hopefully tomorrow night with a you know with a high caliber pick like D'Angelo Russell at number three, you know, the uh, the momentum continues moving forward. And you know, take this news as you want to take it, but you know, another tweet came out from Six ABC's Jeff Tversky today suddenly becoming the breaker of all things Joel Embiid news, uh, who said that, you know, Nerland's Noel said in an interview that he's uh, been given no indication that Joel Embiid will need surgery on his foot and that, you know, he has no doubt that Joel will play basketball here uh, this season. You know, I remember back uh, talking to Thaddeus Young and Drew Holiday during that, you know, 2012-2013 season, you said similar things about Andrew Bynum suiting up that season. You know, how much can you take from these quotes from Nerland today? Um, do you feel like it's just, uh, you know, a player kind of helping out his uh, his teammate? Yeah, I, I don't know how much you can really take from it. I mean, it's obviously not bad. He couldn't completely lie. You know, if Joel was not able to walk, he wouldn't be able to say, you know, things like he tweeted. But, you know, you can't really take too much out of it. Uh, me, it kind of just came off as, you know, MB's been under so much fire, um, you know, and just scrutiny basically since since the selection, you know, just based off the controversy of the injury and everything. Um, I feel like it was a way for, you know, Nerland's kind of just to deflect some of that and, you know, away from MB and be like, you know, yeah, this guy, he's, you know, he's doing what he needs to do. He's going to be what we need him to be. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, being a good teammate and, more than anything, I think you just like to see that from a guy like Nerlens who could, you know, potentially develop into one of the, you know, key leaders of this young team and just, you know, building back up to a contender. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'm glad he's optimistic, but, you know, I don't think players on, on the team really get much information at all on, you know, issues like this. Maybe Joel and him have been kind of texting back and forth, but, you know, even then, just knowing Joel as a person – really believe you know he he would keep anything but optimism until he officially hears something back from the doctors you know to me i i don't you can say this was all like a smoke screen from sam hinky to maybe try to get the magic to push the trigger on 
you know, some kind of trade to prevent the Sixers from getting Porzingis. But, you know, I'm not really buying it. There's still plenty of reasons to be nervous about Joel's injury. And just because Nerlens or, you know, any other player on the roster says otherwise, you know, it doesn't really change that for me. Um, but, you know, speaking of kind of the teams with potential interest in, you know, trading up with the Sixers here, um, I've heard the magic. I've heard, you know, potential involvement in a deal for DeMarcus Cousins and the Kings, uh, who have the sixth pick. And uh, if Jahil Okafor falls to number three, I've also heard the Knicks trying to trade up. Um, you know, I'll disregard the report about, you know, the Celtics trying to deal Olenek smart and number 16 for Noel and number three because, you know, Danny Ainge is out of his damn mind if Sam yeah. Hinkie or any yeah. GM in the league would would do that. But, you know, out of the, the three teams where these trades could actually maybe happen, who would the Sixers be most likely to deal with here? And, you know, what kind of deal would we be looking for from uh, each side? Um, you didn't think that that Celtics offer was reasonable? <laughs> that no, was just um, hilarious. That was just hilarious. It's uh, no, it's tough to say. Uh, honestly, I mean, it goes without saying that you know Hinky will obviously try to note the best offer available, and I've you know full uh, full faith in his ability to do so. You know, with that being said, it's really tough to tell. Um, which one of those teams would probably, you know, be most beneficial for the Sixers. I would have my eye on, um, you know, obviously I think the Knicks, depending on who they want right there. Um, but, they, you know, then it comes in, a, you know, their asset pool and what they're working with. Um, and, you know, it, there still remains the possibility, too, that when whatever name Adam Silver calls at three isn't going to hold to be necessarily the pick that the Sixers select, uh, you know, similar to the Alfred Payton situation last year, that if they did, you know, figure out some sort of move to drop back and add an asset or two. Um, it wouldn't be, you know, known immediately. So that's, a you know, another thing to keep into consideration. Yeah, and, you know, uh, looking at these kind of deals, you know, I'm looking at the Knicks trading that number four pick to try to move up for maybe Yoka for as the only potential deal that, that might actually happen, in my opinion, at least at this point. You know, if Okafor falls, uh, most likely the Lakers will draft Russell, which means, you know, either Przingis or Moutier, um, who I think are kind of the next guys behind Russell and guys that Hinky might have slotted there, you know, on his big board. Um, you hope that the Sixers can get that number four pick and maybe like a future first rounder since the Knicks don't really have any kind of tradable pieces on their roster at the moment. Um, I don't know if that would be enough for Sam. You know, it wouldn't be the, the greatest uh, draft day trade, but it makes sense in, in terms of, you know, it hasn't seemed like they're really in love with the idea of drafting Okafor, even if he did fall. So, you know, if you get Przingis or Moutier, which it seems like they're very interested in, as well as the future first, you know, you can't be too unhappy there. But once again, this is the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael kapsky Blomain. And, Mike, you know, outside of these teams kind of looking to trade up here, you know, the Sixers have also been rumored to be involved in talks for the Blazers pick at number 23, as well as the Cavs pick at number 24. You know, the Blazers pick was rumored to be for the Sixers number 35 and 37 picks 
and that Cavs pick would come over for, you know, taking on the contract of Brendan Haywood, which is, you know, over $10 million uh, of a payout for next yeah. season. Um, the Cavs also wanted, you know, maybe another piece to add to that puzzle in return. Maybe you're looking at Tony Roden or someone along those lines. To me, that Cavs pick just sounds too expensive. But, you know, what do you think about both of these potential deals? Yeah, I mean, that Brandon Hayward, you know, that's a pretty pretty hefty piece to take on for a, uh, you know, a, mid, a mid-20s pick. Uh, you know, as you kind of alluded to, I think the, you know, the Portland deal would probably be a little bit better. Um, obviously, can, you know, depending on who the Sixers would have to ship out. Um, you know, I don't think anyone on the team is necessarily, you know, he would, you know, Hinky wouldn't consider moving at the right right price, maybe obviously outside of Van Beet and, and Noel. Um, like you mentioned, Tony Roten is a guy that, you know, I think would draw some interest around the league, uh, especially maybe from, a, you know, a, a team out west like Portland that could use him as a, uh, you know, a, a reserve guard off the bench to come in and bring some offense. And uh, But I fully expect, you know, just uh, Sam to try to package a couple of those second rounders and to move back up into the first round. Um, you know, I think that this this flexibility that he has with those second rounders will have, you know, it, w- it won't be boring at any point tomorrow evening for Sixers fans, we'll say that. Like, I think that the flexibility that they've established with all those second round picks will, you know, allow him to do something like that to move up back. And then, obviously, you know, depending on what shakes out with the third pick, if they'd be looking at, you know, maybe another rotational big guy or, you know, possibly a shooter or something like that in that later 20-something range. But, um, you know, what about you? Which one of those deals do you think, uh, you know, sounded maybe a little bit more enticing if, if, you know, either of them were to shake out? Uh, Without a doubt, Portland giving up two second-round picks. So that's almost like why Sam Hinkie got all those second-round picks, is to do a deal exactly like this where you can trade a couple of those to get back into the late first round and, you know, have a shot at maybe a higher upside guy. You know, um, you're looking at Draft Express right now. You know, it's not the end-all, be-all of of draft sites, but, you know, there's some good talent around that range with uh, Sam Decker, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Kevon Looney, you know, Justin Anderson, just a couple, you know, wings that could measure out as well as a couple of big men that could come in and, you know, log minutes as maybe a rotational player on this team. Um, is there any guy, you know, in, in particular, you know, we talked about Rondé in, in past shows and, you know, Jake Pavorsky said today how he was saying he would love to play in Philly someday. He's going to have quite a Chester contingent at the NBA draft. Um, you know, is there anyone, I guess, besides Rondé in that range that you might uh, look for there? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's definitely a couple guys of interest. Uh, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Rooney. Uh, I think he would be an intriguing option um, to look at right in that mid-20 range. Uh, you know, he has solid size. Uh, you know, decent. He seems like he'd be decently ready to come in and, uh, you know, and probably he might not ever be a starting caliber player, but if the Sixers ended up going small, um, you know, hopefully, you know, if they end up taking Russell with that third pick, um, you know, they might be looking to solidify, you know, a couple uh, big guys spot later on. He's a guy I might look at. Uh, Another guy I think a a lot of teams in that range are kind of targeting um, is Kelly Oubre, um, you know, out of Kansas, who's a, 
<laughs> one of my favorite comparisons that I saw uh, a quick tweet about him recently was a, a Kendall Gill comparison, uh, which is a name I hadn't really thought of necessarily in a while. But, you know, he's six seven, like 205 pounds, uh, you know, extremely athletic, like long wingspan. He has, like, you know, prototypical, like really good size. Uh, you know, he has good potential to be a two-way player. And, uh, you know, not not that the Sixers are at the point, you know, I think we're both in agreement. They're not necessarily drafting for fit or for need at this point. But there's, you know, there's a clear, uh, you know, emptiness in the uh, perimeter spots on the Sixers right now. There's really no, um, you know, there's no incumbent, like, shooting guard or small forward. And, uh, you know, Ubre is a guy that if maybe if like, you could get back into the, set, the first round with, you know, packaging a couple of those second-round picks, and if he was still around in, you know, mid-20s or even, you know, early 20s, it's a, it's a pick you might be able to get some value for. And he could, you know, really pan out to be a solid, you know, rotational player down the road. Um, you know, obviously I think we mentioned uh, Jerry and Grant on the show last week. Um, obviously I think the uh, the brother-brother connection there with, uh, you know, Jeremy is a little, a little bit intriguing if for, you know, whatever reason uh, – third pick didn't we didn't end up with Russell or we even if so just wanted to have you know a little more point guard depth you know I think Jerry and Grant would be a possible another guy to look at um but yeah there's there's certainly no shortage of you know quality or at least intriguing options um you know later on in that in that first round range and most of the uh you know most of the mock drafts and um you know I, I think I would I guess I, I would certainly be surprised if they didn't. The Sixers didn't at least look to you know move back into that tw- mid twenty range um, that you had mentioned. Yeah, and I, I mean you mentioned Kelly Oubre. Um, the interesting thing about him for me is, you know, I, I did the seven hundred level, you know, preview to the season, and they asked, you know, who the Sixers should get with that that first pick in the draft, and I was actually so high on Uber at that time, I actually pinned him as the guy the Sixers should take. So it's interesting how, how much stock, you know, can drop or rise over the course of, you know, a half a year here. And and that's the case for, for Uber. But, um, you know, I still think he's a great player. You know, his measurements are, are fantastic. Uh, he has the makings to become, you know, a, a good shooter in the league. Um, someone that can stretch the floor. And to pair with Russell, I mean, I, I think athletically he could really, you know, help out on that fast break and, you know, add a add a nice dimension um, to the team, kind of fill out the roster, if you will, in a way. But, yeah, you know, there's a lot of great talent there, you know. I, and also, you know, you mentioned how they might uh, go after Darian Grant. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about him on this show plenty as well how, you know, he's one of the elite scorers. Um, he actually led all prospects in the draft uh, in assisted turnover ratio uh, as the point guard. So, you know, he, he definitely has some skill there. If they were to go Chris Saps, Przingis, um for any reason, even Jahil Okafor, you know, any, anyone like that, he he could also be a guy, you know, they could get back into the first round for. So, you know, a lot of great talent. You know, one of the other things kind of um, being said about the Sixers at the moment, you know, was mentioned that the NBA Players Association are investigating the Sixers for the handling of, you know, the CBA, uh, such as salary distribution to cap floor and, you know, contract format loopholes. Um, You know, for the NBA PA, you know, Philadelphia's approach over the past several seasons 
may not have been in technical violation of the collective bargaining agreement um, as much as kind of the spirit of negotiating under the CBA. We all know about, you know, Sam Hinkie's rookie deal, four-year specials. You know, we, we've talked about that several times. Mike, what do you have to say about, you know, all of this coming out about uh, the Sixers? Yeah, I mean, it's to be honest, I, I don't think it's totally surprising. You know, as you alluded to, it's, it's not, at least it hasn't been totally made clear to me yet whether they're, you know, truly in violation of, you know, actual bylaws or rules or if it's more, you know, a, a violation of the spirit and kind of the way that things are supposed to be done. Um, you know, Sam, is he's kind of rubbed people the wrong way, I guess is one way to put it. Uh, a lot of the moves he's made, you know, there's been – Certain rumors that he's rubbed particular GMs, you know, the wrong way. Obviously, uh, certain players, you know, aren't happy with the the uh, you know the typical four year unguaranteed rookie deals that you mentioned. Um, you know, he hasn't been he hasn't been shy about um, letting people know what he's doing and how he's doing it, and he's been you know brass and blatant about the plan um, that he's had for the team since he took over. And I think you know that just has rubbed people the wrong way, whether it be you know. Uh, other general managers are all the way up through uh, league executives. Um, you know, there was already <clears throat> obviously the, uh, you know, the the lottery reform rally that was spurred, you know, largely by the way the Sixers have conducted their rebuild over the past couple of years. Um, you know, so that obviously the teams in the end ended up voting to uphold the current structure. They, you know, they saw that it, that they felt that would be better, but there was the, uh, you know, initially it looked as though that the Sixers' way of doing it was going to cause a change, uh, you know, a very reactionary change to something that, you know, had already been occurring. Um, you know, I think it's it's sort of the uh, the transparency with which he, you know, Sam and the rest of the, the organization has conducted it. It's a, you know, it's an approach that not necessarily hasn't been done before, but I think just the, the openness with which it's been done is it's kind of unparalleled. And I think it's uh I don't know if it's probably a combination of jealousy because, honestly, I think a lot of other general managers would like to have the opportunity to do what Sam has done with the Sixers. They just don't have the, uh, you know, the same type of leash that's been given to him by, you know, Josh Harris and, the, you know, the rest of the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've been really patient, obviously, with, you know, letting him take a two seasons so far really to kind of dwell at the bottom and, you know, establish a talent pool and kind of shed off all the, uh, you know, the contracts that were bogging the team down and just basically start fresh, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the only ways you can really do it in the league, you know, either if you're not acquiring big-name free agents a la, you know, the Miami Heat a few years ago, um, you know, just building through the draft is really one of the best ways to do it. And, um you know, I, I think a lot of the other GMs out there that are dealing with teams that were in a similar situation, the Sixers kind of wish that they had the, uh, you know, the go-ahead to do something similar, but since they don't and they're on a more, you know, a, a more sped-up schedule where results are, um, you know, wanted to be seen quicker, they can't do it. And I think that's that's part of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not surprising. I think it's it's just kind of another, another attack at the way that, Sam has conducted it, and uh, you know whether or not it, something comes out that they were actually in violation is yet to be seen. But uh, you know, I think it's more just a, a comment on the perception of the, the way that they've done it in general. Um, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, you look at some of these cases. You know, the the KJ McDaniel's trade. You know, you you knew something was going on there all season. You know, KJ wasn't on board. You knew why KJ wasn't on board. 
you know, it's one of those things, you know, you, you can't kind of cross Sam Hinkie. And that's the way this team has kind of become is, you know, if you cross Sam, you're gone. You know, that, that's kind of the same way the Eagles run their business. And, I, I mean, I can't necessarily agree with, you know, the the way people have been throwing Sam under the bus for this kind of stuff. You know, I, I feel like if other GMs had the leash, like you were talking about, like Sam does, um, you know, they would do the same thing. But it doesn't make the perception of you that great. Um, you know, you look back to the Andre Kirilenko deal and what transpired after that. You look at all the players that have just kind of, come and gone through the team almost in a turnstile fashion, it's a lot for Sam to kind of hear about himself. And, you know, he, he's not deaf. Um, I'll tell you that much. He, he's definitely listening. It's hurtful in some way for Sam. But, yeah, I mean, it, it should be interesting um, what they find when they do actually do this investigation. You know, it doesn't seem like Sam's been breaking any of the rules. He's just you know, maybe not being as fair as other GMs are across the league. And, you know, that's not, you know, necessarily a violation. It's just, you know, the, the way things have happened here. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. Uh, you know, one of, one of the other things that kind of came up over the last month or so was, you know, the Dario Saric uh, buyout talks over in uh, Turkey. Uh, initially, when I heard this report, I thought that, you know, that was going to be the reason behind, you know, the Players Association getting involved here. But, you know, now, um, you know, Chad Ford kind of reported that he won't be coming over. And in his opinion, he might not be coming over for two more seasons. So, you know, if that's the case with Dario, uh, what do you think in retrospect to have to wait, you know, potentially four years for this guy to come over here? Yeah, I mean, four years would be, you know, that's definitely a little ways to wait, to wait for, a, for a lottery pick. Uh, you know, I wasn't one that overreacted um, last week when, the, you know, what you just mentioned when the news broke that he wouldn't be coming over this season after the speculation that maybe he would, um, would be getting out of the contract and coming over. Was, I, I think Sam made it pretty clear and, you know, it was never it was never changed that it was, you know, going to be at least a two-year thing, um, you know, minimum to get him, you know, to get him over here. So that that fact in, in itself didn't bother me. The report that you just mentioned that could be another two years is it's tough, but at the same time, uh, you know he's he's playing overseas and he's still getting experience, and the Sixers continue to hold those rights. And you know it could kind of serve in a way that when the team is really uh, you know picking momentum up with what they've built, he would kind of serve as an additional pick. You know if they, if the team starts making the playoffs maybe not necessarily next season, but the following season. And the lottery picks aren't coming in like they were the past few years, you know, and then we get, uh, you know, the inclusion of Dario into the lineup. It'll kind of just be an injection of, you know, a lottery caliber talent um, in addition to the developed guys that have been, you know, with the team for a couple of years now. I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, obviously it's more requesting more patience from the fan base and the team in general. But, you know, given, you know, some of the players picked directly behind Zaric and the potential that, you know, a lot of the experts seem to think that he has and, you know, just his skill set from every, all the games that I've been able to watch of his, um, you know, overseas this season, he certainly seems like he would have, you know, a lot to offer a team like the Sixers, in, you know, in terms of skill set and what he would bring to the floor. 
And, uh, you know, it would, it would definitely be, you know, a blow to wait that long, but sometimes, you know, patience is required to build something great. And, uh, you know, if, if the other guys are coming along, you know, nicely, the, uh, the inclusion of him could really be, it could be something that could really propel the team, you know, to, to another level in terms of with depth and, uh, you know, flexibility. Yeah. You know, I've gotten to see Dario play a good amount. You know, I've caught some of his, his games online, you know, streaming. And, you know, he, he does have a very, you know, interesting skill set. I've seen his development as a three pointer over the past year now. Um, and he's really becoming kind of that stretch four in a way, you know, at six ten, And, uh, you know, he, he could definitely just plug into the lineup right away, especially if Joel, you know, is healthy to play. Um, the only thing that worries me is one of the reasons people think he's not coming over is, you know, he wants that, that large contract. And, you know, when, when you start dealing with contracts for guys who haven't even played a game for you, uh, that's when things kind of get a little tricky, you know. Um, and Sam Hinkie, for one, is, is someone that, you know, isn't so willing to give you a contract until you've proved yourself. When things come to that point, it'll be interesting to see what Sam does. You know, another kind of not so fantastic uh, news that's actually, you know, terrible for the organization was, was the passing of Harvey Pollock, um, almost the original Sam Hinkie. You know, he started tracking stats for the NBA that are now used, you know, so regularly, um, blocks, steals, offensive rebounds, turnovers, minutes played, triple-doubles, four-point plays, um, you know, a, a ton of per-minute stats. He was just, you know, the stat master, as, as people call him, the super stat. And I don't know if you've actually gotten the chance to meet him on Press Row. I have not, but, you know, from what I've heard, he's just also a fantastic guy. You know, he, he wrote that 100 sign for Wilt Chamberlain after his 100-point game, you know, took the picture of that, you know, reporter on the side. Um, what have you read about, you know, all this Harvey Pollock news, and have you actually had the chance to meet him before, Mike? Yeah, actually, I, I got to meet Harvey one time on uh, Press Row, I believe it was three years ago. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't really get to talk to him. I just shook his hand and introduced myself and continued on. But, you know, as you alluded to, everyone, you know, has been paying, paying close attention to Twitter, um, you know, since the news broke yesterday. And just the, the outpouring of support that, you know, has been seen and appreciation for Harvey um, from everyone. You know, Adam Silver came out with a, with a statement almost immediately. Obviously, the Sixers, um, you know, players and, you know, the articles popping up across the Internet um, and just the appreciation for the guy that, you know, he was the last living original employee of the NBA. I mean, as Adam Silver said in his statement, there has never been an NBA without Harvey Pollock. Um and you know it's it's as a Sixers you know lifelong Sixers fan and now now someone that covers the team uh, you know it's just, it's just an honor that he's associated with the team um, you know he was just such a revolutionary for especially now I feel like his his contributions obviously uh, will be appreciated even more with the uh, you know the, the continued development and incorporation of of stats um, you know advanced stats in the NBA. You know, just two years ago, NBA.com launched the, uh, you know, the whole NBA.com stats page with the player tracking, um, you know, mm-hmm. all these new, new 
uh, you know, awesome ways that are just really in-depth ways to measure things that players do on the court that, you know, weren't even thought of before in that, you know, basically that's what Harvey was. He was, you know, ahead of his time. I, I can't even rattle off, you know, as you mentioned, like triple doubles, plus minus, uh, like, a, you know, assist opportunities, so many things that, you know, he just thought of and, in, in, you know, in a way to enhance how the game is judged. Um, you know, he just had the ultimate basketball mind and, you know, he, he's just a, a testament to what they say, you know, not to be corny, but, you know, the expressions they say, if you love what you do, you never really work a day in your life. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, up until the day that he died, he was here, there working, you know, with the Sixers and, you know, from everything that I've read and heard about him, I, I don't think he would have changed a thing about that. Um, if he could have, and, you know, it's just, you know, it was, it's just nice to hear, um, you know, someone who was so happy and dedicated and passionate with what they do. And, you know, something like that can really be an inspiration to other people, um, you know, especially people in our field here that's, you know, sports media. Um, you know, the, the whole world of sports isn't limited to the teams and the players. There's a lot of people that, you know, base their whole life around it and, you know, make great contributions to the game in other ways that aren't just isn't just on the court. And, uh, you know, Harvey was just a great example of that. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, he'll be missed by not just the, the Sixers organization, but, you know, everyone in the, that's been associated with the NBA and that got to meet him. Yeah, I mean, I think Shaq said it best. You know, Harvey came up to him at one of the games and said, Shaq, do you know, you know, you, you take this many layups and, and this many jump shots? And Shaq, you know, just said, all right, man, you got to really get a life. You know? <laughs> it's just one of those things where, you know, he's so appreciated for, you know, what what he's brought to the game in terms of, you know, all these statistical feats that, that players have done over the years. And the players themselves don't even realize just how necessary these are until kind of later on in their life. You know, it's just so cool to see. Another thing that I thought was interesting was, you know, he's the only person to possess all four Philadelphia pro basketball championship rings. You know, he had two with the Warriors in 1947 and 1956 and two with the Sixers in 1967 and 1983. So take that, Bill Russell, <laughs> when you're when you're talking about championship rings. Yeah. You know, he he yeah. has the only four ever in one of the franchise's history. You know, that that was just one of the, the things that I felt like we needed to talk about on the show. Just a wonderful man. You know, you think of even ambassadors to the Sixers since him, you know, World Be Free is another guy that comes to mind who does so much for both, you know, the team and, and the community as a whole. And, you know, those are the kind of guys that you kind of want to build your program around. Um, you know, just put a bright image on your team as, you know, people that not only do good things as an organization, but, you know, help out the community as well. But, yeah, just uh, kind of moving on, um, you know, we saw the jersey unveiling the other week here. Um, I, for one, was super impressed by, you know, what the Sixers came up with there. You know, just kind of minor changes with the stars down the side. I really like the shorts with, um, you know, the logo kind of in the middle there, uh, that circular basketball with the stars. What do you think of, you know, the jersey unveiling ceremony and, um, you know, just everything that happened there? Yeah, uh, I'm in agreement. They did the uh, 
the whole event and the jerseys. I mean, they that they the team handled that whole situation very well. I love, uh, you know, I'm with you. I love the shorts, especially uh, the blue ones. I got to get myself a pair of those. Those things, those are <laughs> nice. But uh, yeah, I love the uh, I love how you know it, it it just looks like a very modern, like a, a very slight modern tweak to the classic, uh, you know, the classic jerseys. I love the inclusion of the stars, um, you know, both on the side and also right in the middle there that you you were talking about. Uh, you know, it's nice to have Philo back on the front. Um, you know, I think I think they're gonna look nice on court. Hopefully I think uh D'Angelo Russell will look especially nice in the red one. But uh in the event <laughs> the uh, the the jersey unveiling event itself was uh I, I was very surprised. I uh, I went I attended the event um and went down and it was it was crowded man. It was uh there was a lot of people there. They had lines, you know, couple hundred deep out the door waiting to get in for a uh you know this was just a jersey unveiling event in the middle of june i mean there was and like the uh the anticipation was palpable uh, i think it, it's mainly just a reflection of where the you know the, the pulse of the fan base right now they're just they're itchy for the future and i think the uh you know the jersey unveiling is kind of the first step it's it, you know obviously the, the timing of the branding the, the uh you know the organization trying to separate from the you know, the kind of the bland uniforms that the team's been using for the past, you know, a handful of years or so during this, like, you know, period of extreme mediocrity. I think uh, switching to these new uniforms that honors, you know, pays homage to the classic uh, Sixers team is, is uh, certainly meant to, you know, take the team into the new era of success with this rebuild with, you know, a fresh new look. Uh, you know, unveiling the jerseys was the first step. And, you know, I, there was, absolutely more people, more fans in attendance there than I thought there was going to be. Uh, you know, it was, it was cool how they, uh, you know, they, the players, they had the players all out there modeling the jerseys with the, uh, you know, the big posters and banners behind them. Um, it was, it was a well, it was a well orchestrated event in general. And, uh, I mean, that was my biggest takeaway. Uh, I drove away from, uh, you know, South Philly coming back to Manioc and that's what I kept thinking was, you know, from all the national media members that I've read over the past couple of years saying how, you know, the Sixers are alienating their fan base and they're going to lose their fans and, you know, how can they stand for this? And, you know, Howard Eskin's been calling for Sam Hinkie's head for the past two seasons and, you know, how can anyone support what he's doing? You know, it's the the support for the team and the, the fan base, it's there, man, and, that, you know, it's ready for – you know, it's ready for this team to become a contender again. There's there's a lot of excitement for really, and it's it's genuine excitement for the first time that I can remember since, you know, obviously at least a few years. And uh, you know, hopefully next season on on the court will be the first step. We'll start to see you know some of these guys develop, and plus you know the new picks we get and whoever they add this summer in free agency, we'll hopefully start to see a team that. Uh, you know, improving and starting to really take that upward climb toward, you know, back to contention that we've all been waiting for. Yeah, uh, I mean, I wasn't there at the, the unveiling ceremony, but from what I heard, it was just so exciting. Uh, all the fans were just super pumped to, to see those unveiled. And, you know, they're really just beautiful classic jerseys. You know, I haven't ordered my, my new one yet, but I, I feel like I might because, um, you know, these are just beautiful. I don't know if I want to go with the white, the blue, or the red. Um, I feel like the white's I'll a little lose. more sleek. Yeah, maybe all three. But um, maybe I'll go with the, the blue jersey with the white shorts, something like that. There but, you go. Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, they did just a great job. And um, as you were saying, you know, you haven't really felt this way 
in a while um, in terms of being a Sixers fan. You know, I, I went to that Andrew Bynum event um, at the National Constitution Center a few years back now, and, you know, the fans were, were so excited then. And, you know, it's almost taken from that point to now to get that excitement level back. You know, the draft tomorrow will be, you know, as they say, this starts now. The draft tomorrow will be that moment. Um, so, yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens um, tomorrow night. Do you have a, a location of where you're watching it? I don't, actually. This is the first time in four years that I'm not actually going to be attending and covering the draft. Um, so, I, I, honestly, I was thinking about just watching it here at my home or myself. And so that way I'm free to scream either, you know, screams of happiness or screams of anger if they end up passing on D'Angelo Russell for Porzingis. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super excited for this draft in a way that, you know, I haven't necessarily been in a while just because I really don't know what to expect. You know, last year I wanted Wiggins really bad, so I had that going into the draft kind of. But, you know, other than that, uh, there wasn't – I didn't really – you know, have any expectations. And this year, you know, there's obviously I have we have targets that we want, but the, you know, there's just been so many reports of potential other first round picks that teams would be willing to part with for the right price. And the Sixers and Sam have done such a good job of putting the team in position to have, you know, assets both in the form of picks and also cap space with which to take on contracts. That, uh, you know, he, I, I fully expect another entertaining draft as it's been both of the past two years since Hinky was there. You know, he started off the whole his tenure with the Sixers with a bang, dishing out Drew Holiday, um, you know, in 2013, and then taking Nerland and Mike. Um, followed it up last year, obviously, with uh, the controversy of the two picks that didn't even touch the court for the Sixers this season. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this year it seems like, like, as I alluded to before, at least the guy, whoever they select, whether – you know, hopefully it's Russell, but whether it be Porzingis or Moutier or somebody else, at least they'll be, you know, out on the court to continue, you know, to add and actually get to play sometimes with the guys that they're going to be building with and going forward. But, uh, yeah, to circle back around, I, I, I think I'm going to maybe grab myself a couple of beers and sit on the couch and just, you know, I'm going to have to obviously the best part about the NBA draft is following along with it on Twitter and uh, trying to follow along with it and seeing what the reactions are. Unless, uh, you know, and if you don't want to have all the picks spoiled, you know, five minutes ahead of time, you should probably unfollow Adrian Wojciechowski um, before <laughs> tomorrow night. <laughs> but uh, what about you, Jeff? Where are you going to be uh, watching uh, the big night for our boys? Yeah, man, I, I was trying to make it down to the Dilworth Park Bash. You know, I, I tried to get that kind of ticket through DraftKings or whatever it was. Um, it never came through, so... I think I'm just going to, you know, either watch it at a sports bar in Old City or just watch it back home. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, it should be very interesting. Uh, definitely basketball Twitter is is one of the best places to be on draft night, um, like you were alluding to. I mean, the Woj bombs will be coming. Uh, <laughs> they always do. Uh, you don't know when. You know, they, they could come at the, the last possible moment. Uh, like the Sixers last year trading for uh, that last pick in the draft. So, um, you know, the the Sixers will be very active again. Um, I have no doubt about that. I'm, I'm calling two picks here in the first round. I think they'll keep their, their number three and, you know, actually will trade back in um, in the late first. So 
Um, you know, I, I think it'll be uh, one of the, the more exciting drafts. And, you know, I, I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, that's pretty much all I've got today. Uh, I'm as excited as you are. Uh, I can't wait. And, um, you know, that, that's it for the show. This is uh, Jeff McManaman alongside Michael Kasky blomain Follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report or on the app Stitcher. And uh, I can't wait. Let's Let's do this thing, Mike. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, next time we have a show, hopefully we'll be talking about, you know, the new addition of D'Angelo Russell into the Sixers and what that means for us going forward. So, uh, you know, I think we'll both have our fingers <laughs> crossed tomorrow night. And, uh, you know, one way or another, we'll certainly have a, a whole lot to talk about next week.